You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way, unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and I'm so thrilled to be here broadcasting our very first show on 6abc.com. You can also continue to listen to the show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT every week as well. If you're new to the show and not familiar with our watch team of on-air contributors, these are corporate partners who bring news and information from their industries to the show each and every week. And to learn more about the watch team and all things related to Women to Watch, you can visit womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. I'm also excited to have with us at the end of today's show, a brand new Lifestyle Watch partner. Sherry Morrison is going to be spotlighting women trailblazers in the field of art, fashion, restaurants, businesses, events, and retail each and every week. So I look forward to chatting with her at the end of the show today. 
So now I'm very honored and excited to welcome to the show Renee Williams. Renee is the executive director for the National Center for Victims of Crime. Renee, thanks so much for being here for our very first show on 6ABC. Yes, thank you for having me. I was excited to be on the inaugural episode. And we let you know at the very last minute, so (laughs) way to be prepared. Yeah, exactly. You look nice. Thank you. Well, listen, I want to start, as I always do, and give our listeners a sense of where you came from and and a little bit about your background. So tell us where you grew up. Sure. I grew up in a very small town called Hubbard, Ohio, and that is a suburb of a slightly larger but still small town called Youngstown, Ohio. And it's probably about two hours south of Cleveland and an hour north of Pittsburgh. So right in the middle there. Okay. And can you tell me, um, tell me what mom and dad did? My parents were both public school teachers. My dad taught high school English. My mom was a special education teacher in high school. And I will say I'm the only person to have broken out of that family. That is the family profession. My sister and brother-in-law are both teachers. My aunt and uncle were both teachers. So, so everybody but me is a teacher in our family. Oh, wow. Um, I wanted to share this quote um, with our, with our viewers. I keep saying listeners, listeners and viewers, um, You said, though I don't remember it, having a transplant at 14 months old left me with a profound sense of gratitude and obligation while fully embracing adversity. In what way? So I grew up knowing that I had had a transplant. And at that time, there were no living donors. So I was aware that a child had died. Um, so that I could live and that a family had made probably what would be the toughest decision any parent could face. I certainly can't imagine facing it of giving up their child's organs. And so from that time, I was so aware that I had been given a second chance at life. It it was just enmeshed in my experience growing up. And so I was very, very grateful. But I was also very aware of the fact that I was living for two people and that I needed to make it Mm -hmm. worth it. I needed to make that gift worth it. And so I grew up with that. It took me a long time to embrace that as an adversity. For a long time, I didn't want people to know I had a transplant. I didn't want to be the different person in school. But I've realized as an adult that really the adversity of that childhood experience has shaped who I am. So I had to grow up speaking to doctors. I had to speak to adults. I had to be able to communicate what I was feeling and what was going on in order to get treatment. And so I learned from a very young age how to communicate what was happening. And also, I learned that tough stuff happens sometimes, and it's not the end of the world, and you have to move on. Well, certainly that plays into the role you have today. And we're going to be talking, you know, much more about um, your your role with uh, the National Center for Victims of Crime. Um, I have a question from a listener, and I think it was a good one. She said, with the explosion of true crime media, do you view it as a positive for the awareness uh, of what it brings? Or do you think it can be insensitive to crime victims? That's a question I've been getting a lot lately. And I love the question because I love the fact that there's an awareness to crime victims. I think the best answer starts with an acknowledgement that this fascination isn't new. 
the fascination with true crime dates back, and there are probably a lot of psychological reasons for that. But the fascination really started in the 1800s. What is new is our ability to consume these stories. And so I think that we can consume these stories and still be sensitive to the victims. And that's really the key part. We have to recognize that victims aren't characters in a ghost story. They're not characters that we hear about. They are very real humans and they've experienced just profound loss. And so what might set them off one day might not set them off another day. We have to be careful in how we ask questions and accept that just because they've tried to make their stories known to get to a resolution does not mean that they've put themselves out to be public figures. I also have to say about this, there are armchair sleuths that are very well-intentioned. We've all seen Don't F with Cats. That worked out well. It doesn't always. And I think folks need to be really, really careful about putting rumors and, and theories out there that aren't true. And then finally, I've got to note that most of what this true crime genre is right now has focused on white women predominantly. Um, and there are women of color and indigenous women that go missing or are murdered every day, and they're not getting the same level of focus. And I think that that starts to skew a narrative in a way that we don't want it. We really need to make sure we're focusing on all victims of crime. And I think the last thing that's really important to say about this I worry about people who consume true crime 24-7. I think it's fun for a lot of people, but we've never had the ability to do this in our history. And you cannot be in this work and in this field every day and not have it affect you. And so if yes. folks are consuming it 24-7, I think that they need to be very aware of any mental health issues that might start to spring up because you just cannot consume this constantly and not be impacted. And, and it starts as fun and it starts as entertainment. And you might not expect some of the feelings and emotions that come up later. Mm, it, it, which is, it's similar, I think, to consuming news all day long, right? Yes. It's too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Renee, let's talk about why you decided to go into this field. Um, I know you originally wanted to be an arts and theater major. Um, so this is quite a jump to, to dealing with victims of crime. Can you tell us about your aunt, the story about your aunt and, and why it led to your interest in this? Sure. Well, as you noted, I was a theater major, but always had an interest in law. And when I went to law school, I wanted to do domestic violence work and child abuse prosecution. And that sprung from my aunt was the first woman in Ohio to plead battered women's syndrome. And she had shot and killed her husband in a domestic violence incident. He she had pulled out his shotgun and held it at him. And he had stuck his fingers into the barrel of the shotgun and pulled back, which caused it to trigger. So she spent 14 years in prison and learned a lot while she was in prison. But from a very young age, I saw how domestic violence can trigger so many other things and the long ranging intergenerational impacts of trauma and abuse. Wow, that's quite a story. It, it is. And it almost seems unbelievable. But I will tell you, as an adult, I did pull the court records and the actual medical evidence did back up that version of the story. Wow. Do you remember um, how old were you when that happened? I was 
four or five. Oh, so you were very young. Very young. My guess is you have memories of something is happening within the family, but not understanding what it was. That's exactly right. I remember that uncle and I remember my aunt when she was not in prison, but I also remember sitting at my aunt's house on the day of sentencing and seeing, or I'm sorry, probably the day after sentencing, because I saw a picture of my mother, my other aunt and my grandmother hugging my aunt. It was on the front page of the paper. And I had no idea why they were in the news. And then my mom came home and had to explain to me that my aunt was going away for a while. Wow. Tell me, um, Renee, uh, first of all, if you're just tuning in, I'm I'm with Renee Williams, the executive director for the National Center for Victims of Crime. Um, Tell me uh, your your first job out of college. um, What was that? And 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 kind of what led to the actual position Um, with the center? The first job, I went right to law school after college. So while I was in college, I worked for the Young and the Restless, which not many people know. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's exciting. It was fun. It was a fun internship. It was eye-opening. Definitely the reason I ended up going away from the business. Um, My first job after law school was working as a clerk for a judge in a very small county in Pennsylvania. And I loved it, but clerkships, when you're an attorney, you know that a clerkship is probably only going to last about a year. I then went into corporate law. So even though I had started thinking I wanted to be a child abuse prosecutor, I had done well enough in school that I was getting offers and shamefully the money and the the promise of a very comfortable lifestyle initially mm-hmm. lured me to the corporate side. And I I landed what a lot of people would consider the dream job. I was in-house at a large healthcare company in Pittsburgh. And probably about two or three years into that, I started to realize that I wasn't using my talents to the best of my ability. And I wasn't doing what I started out to do. And and what was that? What what when you think about that, what, what do you think your talents were that were underutilized? Well, I thought I wanted to change the world. Um, I think the talents that I had, I'm good at managing. I'm good at vision and pushing out a vision and getting other people really excited about my vision. And I found that while I was in corporate law, the position I was in, I was able to train people to do almost exactly what I was doing to a point where they were so good at it, my reviews were getting to be boring. So it kind of felt like the the cog in the wheel. And that really stinks as a feeling. And that's a really easy way to get bored. Right, right. You know, um, I'm always curious when you, you work in th- this kind of work, which is typically nonprofit and it's um, helping people. Um, do you feel that you are here meant to help women and children? Do you really feel like that's a calling for you? Yeah, I was actually on the phone with our founder yesterday, Morris Gurley, and he said, Renee, this is an opportunity that not many people get. And I couldn't agree with him more. This is, it is what I was called to do, but I've also been given an opportunity that not many people get. Not many people get the chance to make change on a large scale level. And I take that very seriously. It's also a risk to leave a comfortable job, right? As a professional, knowing that you have security and money coming in. Um, How did you feel when you made that jump? Where did that um, confidence in yourself to do it come from? 
Well, I think it's it's an even bigger risk to stay in the same position if you see what your life is going to be ahead of you. So I think it's a bigger risk to stay. I had taken some management courses. I had taken some leadership courses at Carnegie Mellon. And so I thought at the time, and let me tell you, the first jump was not to the National Center. Um, I was at a very small company in Pennsylvania that provided free legal aid to indigent um, folks. And so it was a much smaller company. Um, I just thought, I know that I can give my all to this company. I know that I will work hard and I will push every day. I don't know everything, but I also know that I'm willing to learn. And I know that I'm going to have a team that if I listen to them, they will at least provide me guidance. And that was really how we ended up doing well at Laurel Legal was I came in with the wonderful knowledge that I didn't know everything. And in fact, I wasn't even sure what I didn't know and what I did know. So I was able to listen to people mm-hmm. and start to put the pieces into place. But I think even more so, I was able to look at things not from a this is how we've always done them. But if somebody came to me with that, I'd say, but that doesn't make sense anymore. So there was a real advantage to having a fresh perspective and to having the institutional knowledge. Um, You know, there's a real interesting story behind the launch of the National Center. And, And am I right? It's in its 35th year. We are actually at 37 years now. So yes, wow, we've been around for a while. Listen, we're going to go into our first break. If you're listening uh, from Talk Radio, WPHT, stay with us for our watch team. If not, we will be back with Renee Williams, again, the executive director for the National Center for Victims of Crime. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. Social media is an invaluable tool when it comes to growing your small business. Whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or a brand new platform rising in popularity, social media is where many of your customers will find you and engage with you on a regular basis. If you're a business owner and want to ensure your digital presence is as effective as possible, here's how to make your social media stand out in 2022. Think about what your business wants to achieve with its marketing and set simple, measurable goals for social media engagement. If you've already been using some social media platforms, take a step back and evaluate what has been effective so far and what could use improvement. Don't be afraid of doing research. See what competitors or others with a similar business are doing online. If you're running a restaurant, use Instagram to share your delicious dishes. If you're marketing software to other businesses, LinkedIn may be the best place to build an audience. Keep your audience and their demographics in mind. If your target audience is seniors, for example, Facebook is a better choice than Twitter for reaching them. Now that you have your game plan, it's time to develop a plan and create content. This can be as involved or as simple as you like. Just do what you can manage. Determine what kinds of posts will help meet your goals, how you'll engage with your audience, and how often you will post. When it comes to social media, there's no step-by-step guide of what will work for every business. When you take your business online, it's important to pay attention to trends and adapt accordingly. As a business owner, you probably know a thing or two about adjusting and improvement. Never stop learning and growing, and success will come to you and your business. Follow Penn Community Bank on social media for more tips and resources for small business owners. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. Women to watch. Sports watch. 
everybody. This is Dr. Jen Welter, and you are listening to Sports Watch. Too many times people look at the highlight reel of your life and they don't see what happened in the dark. If you're going to make it to the bright life, you're going to have to take some L's. And as a matter of fact, doesn't, doesn't life start with L? So that means you have to get through it to get to it. As, as a person who played sports, like I have won championships, but the Super Bowl that I will never forget was the first one I ever played in, and we took the L. And you know what? I learned a whole lot about it. I learned I never wanted another team to catch me off guard. I knew I wanted to be the most prepared athlete that I could be, and I hadn't felt that way going into that game. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if we'd have won that first Super Bowl, if I would have had the passion and perseverance to go on to win four or to play long enough to win two gold medals. So let's just put it really simply. Life, it starts with L. You've got to get through them to get to it, right? Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco. I'm joined today by Renee Williams. Renee is the executive director for the National Center for Victims of Crime. Um, I wanted to get into the organization and what you do. And my first question was, do you um, specifically help domestic violence victims, women in particular, um, and, and people from poor communities? That is a loaded question. We do help victims of domestic violence, but not specifically. So we do have a victim services hotline that will provide direct services for any victims of crime. And we've been very conscious and very deliberate on remaining a center that is for all victims because of what we know about poly victimization. Once a crime is committed, there are often a series of other crimes that somebody will become a victim of. So we make sure to stay completely broad and generalists. We also have several projects where we are working with low income communities and specifically of with communities of color right now. We've discovered in our work that there are a lot of gaps in mainstreams, in services that mainstream organizations provide. They're providing outstanding services. They are trying very hard. They're doing amazing work, but there's a gap within where people can get to them. And so we're trying to bridge that gap and make sure that we're getting services into these communities. Um, can you tell us, Renee, have you seen a rise in, in crime since COVID? I mean, there's been so many repercussions around uh, the pandemic. What can you tell us about that? I think right now that the rise in crime, especially violent crime, is well documented. I, I don't believe any of those statistics are exaggerated. I think that that what we are seeing is an absolute rise right now. And can you, you know, everyone knows that in the current political climate, um, there's a lot of things happening around law enforcement, um, perpetrators' rights versus victims' rights. What can you share with us about what you're seeing and maybe some some positive news about um, where things are headed? So as far as the political environment, 
I think that that's become so loaded and it's really hurting crime victims. Um, we've, we've turned tough on crime, soft on crime into a political football. And that's not focusing on the victims of crime. They're still getting left in the dust. NCVC actually is a huge supporter of prison reform. We do quite a bit of work with prison reform partners because we believe that is what's going to lead to a safer community is doing the correct and appropriate rehabilitation. Um, I think historically, and I won't get too much into it, but we saw in the 60s and 70s this increase of incarceration, and it's really not made communities safer. It's not made us safer. So I do think that there are a lot of reform efforts that we are working on right now that give me hope for a safer society. And I also think that there's been more of a focus on victims and victims' rights, especially within the past five years, and there's been a lot of forward motions. So I think that from my perspective, victims are getting to a safer space or a space where their rights are more recognized um, and we're no longer pitting the victim against a perpetrator um, because the justice system, I will tell you, does not work for anybody. It, it, it doesn't work for victims. Yeah. Being tough on crime doesn't work for victims. Being soft on crime doesn't work for victims. Um, it just doesn't work. And so we really need to focus on victimization at its genesis if we want to start to see a, a pendulum swing. You know, in preparing for this interview, I was talking with my husband about um, prison reform and, you know, what are alternatives? And I'd love to know your personal view. We talk often about um, rather than prison, giving um, perpetrators, uh, criminals, jobs to do, somehow the ability to contribute back to society. And I'm not talking about the very, very um, severe, you know, dangerous criminals. What do you think about that idea? I think that that would work. There, there are a lot of countries that, that have similar models. I think that from a victim perspective, so I, and we're always very clear about this. I cannot speak for all victims. I can give you quotes and stats, um, but each individual victim is going to have their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own mindset of what should happen. I think that the the best chance we have right now is rehabilitation within prisons, um, if prisons called for. But I agree that prison is not actually always called for. And I think we've over-criminalized a lot of things in this country. And I do believe it was based on race. Can you can you tell us exactly if someone is a victim of crime and they come to your organization, what exactly? You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What kinds of things are they going to be um, receiving? Sure. So we have Victim Connect, which is our hotline, and people can call, chat, or text us. They will get at least a half an hour. We try to provide emotional support. And then because we're national, we will try to set them up with resources and a safety plan in their state and locally where they can go to execute each of the things that we've discussed. We also want many of our larger programs are actually providing training and technical assistance to any victim service professionals. So those would be judges, prosecutors, attorneys, police officers, victim advocates. We really are the go-to for providing the training to them on what best practices are in the field. I'm very curious, Renee, how you manage your own daily anxiety and emotions, seeing the, 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 the things that you do on a daily basis. That would be one of the hardest things. Um, one of the hardest parts of my job is actually telling people that I can't help them because there are some people that we cannot help. Um, there just aren't the resources, there aren't the services. And so that's very difficult as well as the other parts of my job. I do love animals. I have horses here, um, which are great. Equine therapy is amazing. Um, a little dog I snuggle with. So I've tried to create outlets in my personal life and outside of work that, that I can kind of vent to because there's no avoiding some of the tough work. Mm. But sometimes yeah, it's like, a tough work. I mean, that's why I'm here. And again, it goes back to this is an opportunity and not many people get the opportunity to help. Yeah. Them. Yeah. What is the most rewarding for you? You know, it's when I when I interview women who work in tough fields and I ask that question always, how do you remain hopeful? Um, they usually say because of, you know, the success we're having, the difference we're making. I think for me, it's every time we discover a new solution. Um, so we are working on a project in Maryland right now where we are, my team is solutioning some ideas for one of the communities here. And it's really exciting. And it has the opportunity to become something huge nationally. And so it's discovering those tiny little solutions that make the big differences. Can you talk about any specific one, something that you're working on? Sure. So we are working on a program with the inner city communities here where we are actually going into the communities and training community leaders to respond to crime victims so that crime victims don't have to get to a shelter or they don't necessarily have to have interaction immediately with law enforcement. Okay. Um, tell me, are you one of few women working in this field? So you're, you know, you're in charge of this entire organization. Are there few women? doing this no. work? We are the rare field where it is mostly women. And I think that's because women are naturally a little bit more empathetic. We we have, we're, we're more empathetic, I would say. But so we have actually, my entire senior team is female-led. Our board chair, our board co-chair is uh, Kim Goldman. And so we are predominantly female-led in this field. And can you tell me, when you think about your own leadership style, what are the things that you do to keep your team motivated and create a culture where, you know, everyone's getting up every day and eager to do the hard work? 
So we've created a culture of being very conscious of vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue because there's a lot of that. Right. And I think, especially in this field, in the victim services field, most of my team has their own passion. I mean, they got into this field for a reason and they live it and they breathe it and they're excited about it, which makes it awesome to work with. As far as my management style and my management training, my team knows that we are the safest space for them to make a mistake. I've gone out of my way to try to make it very safe for them to make errors as long as they know they're thinking. So Mm -hmm. I would rather them make a mistake and come to me and say, hey, I screwed up. And I could say, well, why did you do this? What was your thought process? Let's walk through there. That was incorrect. Rather than coming to me for every single thing and asking me, I want them to be thinking and be visionaries on their own and be out there and figuring things out. And I'll provide guidance if they need help. Um, But if they make a mistake, they're not in trouble if they can tell me that, that they thought it through. Have you actually been working from from a home office since the pandemic or do you have um, an office that you go to? We've been all over the place. I have an office that I do go to. It is We are based out of Arlington, Virginia. I am home right now. Um, we've tried to come back several times and then Delta, Omicron, every single yeah. variant, we've, we've gotten set back. So even before the pandemic, we had the option. We were in the office two days a week, out three days. But if people wanted to come in more, they were welcome to. So we are trying to get back to that right now. It's optional for everybody. Okay. I always love to know who, uh, I, I think when we talk about women who have achieved levels of success in leadership, um, there's often someone in their life that believes in them. Um, I wonder if you can think of somebody that perhaps gave you some of the best advice you've ever had and, and who that might be. That was my mom. And I think for a lot of people, it's probably their mother. Um, But this goes back to my transplant. So when I, it's a story, because it it has to be a story. Um, When I was probably about four, right post-transplant, my mom put me into a swimming class that I did not want to take. And she agreed to be an instructor for another class. So she was in the pool, but at the opposite side of the pool at the time. And on this particular day, I decided that I didn't want to put my face in the water. There was no reason. There was no reason I couldn't. There was nothing. But I just, in my four-year-old mind, didn't want to do it. And so I looked at the instructor and I said, I can't put my face in water because I had a liver transplant. Oh. And she bought it. She bought it. <laughs> and I was very proud of myself. I was congratulating myself for a hot minute. Um, I saw her walking across the pool to get my mom. And I thought, oh no. Um, so actually, my mom started to walk across the pool. I jumped in. I went face first. I oh, you did! Oh my gosh! I thought I could avoid the storm that was coming. Um, so I came up from the water and I saw my mom's feet, and she went. You know, she gave me the "come here, young lady." Oh, that's scary. That finger, come here. Yeah. And we walked across the pool and she was very gently playing with my bathing suit right here, right next to my neck and the collar and very quietly said, um, young lady, has anybody ever told you that there's something you can't do because of your transplant? And I said, no, ma'am. And she said, so why did you say that? And I said, I didn't want to put my face in the water. And she said, 
you will never tell anybody that you can't do something regardless wow. of whether it's the transplant or not. Wow. You will not tell somebody that you can't do it. And you will not tell yourself that. And then she followed up with, do you understand me, young lady? And that's when you know you're in trouble. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma you know, I never tried that again. Right. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Those memories we have that are so, so vivid. I mean, four is young. That's mm -hmm. really young um, that you carry that memory with you. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's one of her favorite stories because she likes to tell it to show how stubborn I was because I was very stubborn, but, but I, I do remember. And I remember you, you will never tell anybody that there's something you can't do. Wow. Not because that's of the plan and not because of anything else. Not because of anything. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. really, really good advice. Mm -hmm. um, if you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Renee Williams. Renee is the executive director um, for the National Center for Victims of Crime. Um, if, if someone's watching, Renee, and, and it happens to be a woman who's looking perhaps to make that transition from one industry to something completely different and perhaps something that she's always felt she was meant to do, what would that advice be? I would tell people to be smartly spontaneous. So don't follow a path for yourself that you think is set out because it's easy and comfortable because you'll regret it in the long run. But don't be stupid and just go out there and start looking for things left, right, and center. So what I did, you, you know, people, when you look at my career path, it was set there. It does kind of make sense, even though it doesn't necessarily look like it at first, but find what you can do and what you want to do and make meaningful decisions to make that change. You know, there's, there's so many, um, resources and and communities and networks and things for women today to go to to kind of get that help. Um, but I always say I think it has to really come from within. Um, what are the things that have inspired you throughout your career where maybe you've had that light bulb moment or that aha moment? So I will say we were just at CrimeCon, which is an interesting true crime extravaganza. And I had a young woman on stage whose sister had been murdered and had been missing for years. And she actually said to the audience that nobody treated her like a human. Everybody treated her like a story. And I was the first person to tell her that I was going to protect her on that stage. It was my job to make that stage a safe space. Wow. And she said, and Renee's fulfilled every part of that promise. And she's been the first person in 10 years of going through this to treat me like a human. And that wow. was so impactful to me because I thought, you know, we think we've made so many strides, but just the mere act of treating somebody how I would want to be treated still has such an impact. Why, why do you think there has, I, I, yeah, it's, why do you think there's been this lack of connection for victims? What What is going on? So our constitution is set up for defendants and, and I would want it that way. I, you know, this isn't a commentary on the constitution. I would want it that way. But I think that we've become so focused on the story and the defendants. And I think for victims, especially in high profile cases, we assume that because they put their story out there, they're always willing to talk about it. And we kind of forget that 
that they don't always have to be willing to talk about something and that they, and I think that's where the disconnect is. We start to look at them more as a story and a character. Right. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the progress we've made um, with regard to DNA um, right. And solving crimes. I'm, I'm always fascinated with that. You know, the ability that um, we have today to to do that. What do you know about it and, and where do you see it going? I think it's wonderful. I, I still think I mean, there's obviously still limitations in that you have to find the match. And so we're still seeing so many cold cases that just can't be solved because there's not a match. Um it's not in the system. I, I hope that it starts to prevent some wrongful convictions. That would Is be. There's someone who you've met through your journey, a victim who inspired you, their ability to overcome once you were able to help them. My dad was a victim of crime, uh, severe crime when he was a child and his ability to still love unconditionally and to still be a wonderful human being um, and to not have let what happened to him impact how he treats other humans. Um, and he, it was at a time when there weren't services for wow. children his age. Um, listen, this is the end of, of the show and I'm so incredibly grateful for you to take time to share your life story. I appreciate it, Renee. Absolutely, thank you. We're going to go into a break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Sherry Morrison, our brand new Lifestyle Watch contributor. We'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Inclusive products deliver a better experience for everyone. This is the driving thought behind the efforts of designers, engineers, and many others at Comcast NBC Universal, and luckily, many other companies. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. This Thursday, May 19th, is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. The day focuses on raising awareness on improving digital access and inclusion for more than 1 billion people throughout the world with disabilities and impairments. You know, we rely on digital tools and hardware to do pretty much everything in our daily lives. Think of something as simple as curb ramps, which allow those using wheelchairs to traverse sidewalks and street crossings. These tools need to be designed to make a better experience for everyone. Over 4.5 million U.S. military veterans have a service-connected disability, and there are over 6 million military caregivers in the United States. Many aspects of their lives are impacted by these disabilities, including housing, access to education, and career opportunities, as well as social connections. At Comcast, we're committed to designing our products, services, and experiences to allow those with disabilities to open new doors to independence and an enhanced quality of life. So this week, I urge each of you to think of ideas to eliminate barriers for those with disabilities so that we can connect, understand, and share in the experiences of this resilient and inspiring group. Now, the Women to Watch, Marketing Watch. Let's talk about the great resignation. Hi there, my name is Diana Barnes or DB, as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. 
Navigating your career during a global crisis is far from straightforward. Many of us, myself included, have taken stock of our lives, our jobs, and how we spend the time we have. We're always taking inventory of our decisions and making adjustments, but when monumental shifts occur, like a global pandemic, they can result in significant economic movements. Enter the Great Resignation. The Big Quit, as it's also known, isn't just an opportunity for workers to find more lucrative jobs that they can do from their living rooms. Instead, it's a chance for people to find careers in companies that fill their cups. At Munchkin, we strive to create a culture where monetary compensation is a slice of the pie, but not the whole thing. When employees feel good about their work, the causes their company supports, and the opportunities afforded to them, they tend to stick around. Workplace flexibility and compensation are motivation factors, but so are recognition, advancement, and education. Last year, Munchkin was named a great place to work certified company with 88% of our employees saying it's a great place to work. This accolade isn't a result of competitive salaries and flexible schedules alone. We strive to ensure that employees know they're valued, not just for the work they do, but for who they are. If you oversee a company struggling with employee retention, I urge you to tap into your brand's values and those of your team. In what ways can you bring more value to your employees' lives? How can you invest in them so they invest in you? Putting your employees at the forefront of your strategy will only benefit your company and improve the quality of talent you retain and attract. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco and you're watching Women to Watch. Um, I'm joined now and very excited to bring onto the show Sherry Morrison. Um, Sherry's going to be leading a Lifestyle Watch segment for us every week on the show and putting a spotlight on women who are trailblazers um, within their fields of the arts and restaurants and um, retail. And that's, you know, it's a field that's been hit very hard since the pandemic. So I'm excited to have Sherry's input. Sherry, welcome to the show. Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and be a part of Women to Watch. Well, I love your background. It's beautiful and serene. Um, and I'm really little kitchen, but I love it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Hey, listen, natural light and windows, right? It's good for Lots the soul. Of it. Lots of it. So I thought we'd start with your um, sharing with our viewers and listeners a little bit about your background and kind of what led you um, to to be involved in the consulting that you've done in special events. And you started your own company, went to the culinary school. So just a, a brief background so people get to know you. Sure. I've, I've always been a people person and into hospitality in some manner. Um, my mom used to tease me when I was very little uh, because I always said I wanted to be, I'm, and I'm talking about seven or eight years old, that I always wanted to be a bartender and a psychiatrist. <laughs> oh! That <laughs> age understands that a bartender is a psychiatrist. Is Correct. Crazy. But anyway, that's kind of where I started out. And then um, I got involved with a little bit of modeling as I was growing up through high school and college and after college and uh, went to school, was super involved in sports year round and uh, went to William & Mary and decided I wanted to leave to go to the Culinary Institute of America. I had worked for caterers through uh, junior high and high school and loved it. 
Um, so I went to the Culinary Institute. So I'm a chef by trade. Uh, don't do a lot of cooking in restaurants uh, pretty much ever. Um, a little bit during school and right after. But uh, I started uh, my own business at a fairly young age and um, got involved in all, aspe all aspects of the hospitality industry, whether it's been um, cooking, restaurants, catering, event planning, manufacturing. Uh, so my company, which was a small restaurant in uh, one of the local train stations that we renovated, um, morphed into, because one of our customers was the owner of a large grocery chain called Gennardi Supermarkets, mm -hmm. um, they asked me if I would be interested in making fresh soups for their stores. So my restaurant morphed into manufacturing, which I did for 23 years. Um, and eventually sold the company and got involved with consulting for a lot of the people that I met over the years, uh, mm -hmm. selling soups and sauces and side dishes too. Delicious um, soups, by the way. <laughs> I had them. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I've just always been super involved. And while I was doing all that, I did a lot of nonprofit work with uh, Ronald McDonald House and Gift of Life Program. Mm. So uh, they're all things that have kind of come full circle and are things that I'm interested in doing later in life. And as I've gone that full circle, not only have I learned a lot about it, but now I can add a lot to the different programs um, yeah. by getting back involved with them again. So, yeah. Well, I am, I'm so excited to bring this new segment to the show because I think, you know, when we think about the pandemic and what's happened to industries and having to just suddenly out of the blue pivot and, you know, look at how their uh, companies are going to do business lifestyle was hit really hard. Obviously, there were no events. You know, people weren't going places. They weren't shopping. They weren't going to dinner. Um, and, and you're going to be bringing us these really inspirational stories of women who have continued to make it happen and are doing new things. Tell us what you envision um, for this segment and, and what you hope to bring to the show. Well, I hope to profile women in and around the Philadelphia area. There, there's so many great stories um, of people who have been resilient over the years and just outside of the box thinkers. And um, whether it's food and beverage, which is what I've been involved with or events most of my career, um, whether it's food and beverage or uh, fashion, design, decor, diet, nutrition, events, health, travel. I mean, you name it, there's there's a lot to cover and so dynamic, so many dynamic personalities right around here. Um, people should know and be aware of them because, you know, they've been resilient and going through all these things just in the last couple of years. Um, if you can make it through all of that, you can, you can make it through almost anything, really. And am I right that there's a story um, that you kind of uncovered that you might be bringing to the show um, having to do with dance and math? Yeah. So I met this really interesting woman um, who started this uh, company or group. It's a it's called Kinetic Literacy Program or M3. And it involves uh, discovering math and concepts through math, music and movement. So um, I'm not sure exactly, don't have a date for that yet, but uh, very interesting because, you know, sometimes kids don't learn the traditional way and she's made it, she's taken it to a whole new level and it's really just taken off 
with a lot of the different ballet companies in Philadelphia and surrounding area. So yeah, yeah that is so interesting. I, I'm really so excited to, to add this new segment to the show. And I'm looking forward to meeting new women every week that, that you're going to be profiling. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm, uh, I'm Sue Rocco, and this is Women to Watch. And I'm joined by our brand new Lifestyle Watch contributor, Sherry Morrison. Um, that is it for uh, the very first show on 6abc.com. Thank you so much to ABC for helping us to shine a light on women doing incredible work from around the world. And I hope you'll tune in next week for my interview with Reshma Sajani. Reshma is the founder of Girls Who Code. So again, you can listen to the show on WPHT or you can turn into tune into 6abc.com. Um, have a wonderful week, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.